0: welcome to the daily canon podcast here to talk all things arsenal is your host matthew wade hello again listeners and welcome to another daily canon weekly podcast uh we had a bit of a, a break last week uh, partly because everything had a break last week due to obviously uh regal events etc so on and so forth that we won't be uh, talking about because it's not the podcast to do so and we might touch on the uh I suppose the the impact on fixtures which will inevitably impact uh, on the season as it goes forward as well as has done in, in recent weeks but uh, we're here to talk about the football that's actually happened and the football that's going to be happening. Um, so first off uh, to help me do all that is Paul Williams. How are you Paul? Yeah
1: very well mate, very well. How are you?
0: I'm all right. I'm all right. I mean, obviously, it makes sense that particularly we're doing this one, given it's it's post Brentford and and our uh, connections to that club. But just before we uh, go go on that one, uh, I mean, it's sort of a bit late to be talking about it in any depth. But just, did you get any impressions at all, or what did you? What were your takeaways from the Europa League victory a week and a bit ago uh, in Zurich?
1: Uh, I got stupidly uh, excited about Marquinhos. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought he, I thought he was really exciting. He uh, scored, scored a lovely goal with his wrong foot, having absolutely bust the gut to get there. Yeah, set up Eddie and here with his left foot and put another delicious uh, granite zacularesque <laughs> cross shame. on on Martinelli's head. Then Martinelli should have done a lot better with that one. Um. I uh, thought Fabio Vieira had his moment. But it was, it, someone made a really interesting point after the game where it was one of those games where we'd thrown a bit of the side together and sometimes away in Europe. That can, I know we're at a different level yeah. now than the level that we were previously used to, but it was one of those games where it doesn't take a lot for it to go wrong. And um, I guess we saw that actually at the end of the first half, having absolutely dominated uh, to go in that one all felt like a bit of a joke. Um, But it all's well that ended well. And um, I think it maybe speaks to um, what Arteta has been able to do on the training ground, but also the quality of players that we're now able to to deploy even as we rotate
0: yeah and even as we you know there were people like smith missing nelson missing one or two others so who would have normally in those kind of fixtures you know uh, el Nene. obviously he's we're not going to see him anytime soon etc so on and so forth so um you know even cedric was missing through injury who might have otherwise got a game or might not have done but yeah i mean it it wasn't a, a brilliant performance by any stretch of the imagination, but I suppose just finding out that Marquinhos is indeed usable at least at Europa League level, uh, is is very good news for the for the rest of Bakayosaka's season. <laughs> uh and, and not just usable in terms of ability level, but usable as in terms of <laughs> has some of similar qualities obviously not in the same range of abilities not nearly as good at certain things but the fact he's got that nice clipped left footed cross from the corner of the box which is Saka's trademark uh, is is very encouraging the fact that he plays quite an uncomplicated game he sort of gives he goes he's physically ready that was clear Um, so yeah I mean that's just any time you find out you've got one more player that's usable you know it's far too early to to really get a clear handle on what his level is and how much he can is able to contribute but you know if he can replace pepe as our europa league option that's uh, you know good news all round really and as you say everyone else sort of slotted in reasonably effectively in a similar way to those that uh, are, are would normally play every game so yeah it's a, a positive if not an, if not totally convincing evening
1: No, defensively, I think we were a little bit creaky at times, weren't we? But um, I think that was understandable.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, obviously then, well, then the Queen died, (laughs) Um, which is obviously of some significance. So uh, our home game against Everton, which would have been a nice way to... To potentially bounce bounce back after the result at united was cancelled as was the home game against psv which the knock-on effect means the rearrangement of that means that our game against man city in the league will now be happening sometime in the new year no doubt um so there was a, a sort of good r and r time for the team chance to work on some things in the training ground perhaps obviously every team benefits from that and i've seen a lot of people kind of disappointed that that allows other teams that might be slightly more in flux type time to get their shit together, like Man United or Chelsea, et cetera. But, um, you know, we can use it to our advantage as well. And we had the, uh, as fixtures were still being canceled, they found a way to make the game at Brentford still go ahead. Um, which I was very pleased about seeing as I actually had tickets for that one.
1: Mm.
0: So I, I was in with the Brentford fans uh because the person who gave me the ticket is a or gave me two tickets was a big brentford season ticket holder uh well, there's three of them that i've known for forever so it's for god 30 years or more they all sit together
1: so did, uh, uh, did they put you in the middle of them did they well those two weren't there
0: so uh technically uh it was me i, I brought a, a friend called lucy colesville who's um from Heston Way, uh, but she's like always been a big bees fan, but hasn't hadn't been to the new ground yet, so I just thought, oh, that'll make her very happy mm. uh, and then Chris, who I was at, I was at school with, um he was still going to the game, so we we all sat together um and of course, I had to be on best behavior because. <laughs> not that Brentford's a ground where you're going to get, the, get your head kicked in or anything, but you just, you don't want to take the piss in front of people <laughs> in, in the home home end. So I, I sort of, it was, I, I was, it sort of allowed me, well, forced me to watch the game in a slightly more analytical and slightly less emotionally involved fashion.
1: <laughs> I, I'm, um... I'm wondering how you coped with the third goal going in because I jumped out of my seat and I was just sitting on my sofa.
0: Yeah, well, it was. I mean, in a way, the fact it was sort of out of the blue made it easier to to not to uh, to mask my reaction. <laughs> but also, by then, I mean it has to be said, we were so dominant that it didn't. You know, it, it was it was one to put the game to bed, but it didn't feel like a, a seismic match moment, if you know what I mean. Despite being a
1: wonderful goal, <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. Because well, it was just such a, I mean, what, what a goal! <laughs> well, it, well, it was also
0: from the angle we were sat at, we were sort of on the almost on the halfway line, so you could tell it was a strike from distance, but you couldn't tell how good it was from that angle. You couldn't tell if you know, uh okay. you know. Could the keeper done better? You know, it, it wasn't entirely clear until eventually you saw replays.
1: Um, you, uh, did you see the analysis after the game? I think it was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was saying that he did the keeper with his eyes. <laughs> I can't remember who it was. That said, like, how do you do the keeper with your eyes from 30 yards
0: out? 30 yards but out with se- several defenders in front of him as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, but that's I mean, what to be- appears to have happened.
0: I mean, to be fair, it went in off the post, so I'm not sure, or you know, just kissed the post. So I'm not, I'm not sure the eyes would have made that much difference. <laughs> if you can stick it, stick it perfectly in the corner from 25 yards out, you know, that's pretty good going, regardless of what your eyes are doing. Um, I
1: mean, just on Vieira, I think I'm really pleased that that's happened as early as it has. I mean, yeah. we know with Anthony Martial, it doesn't always. Um, count for much in the long run but i i I was a little bit worried about how he was going to go yesterday because i thought brentford were going to be um a lot more physical and a lot more in our faces than it turns out they were Mm -hmm. um so for him to um to to get through that game obviously his first premier league start but also garnish it with with that is um well, there's nothing not to be happy about there, is there?
0: Yeah, and while we're talking about him, I mean, I, I thought his overall performance was very impressive. I mean, obviously, one, you know, not that spectacular apart from the goal, but one of the things you obviously see very clearly in the ground if you've got good seats is, you know, some of the, the, the little off-the-ball things they do, you know, which mm. up on the cameras because it's obviously, the camera's obviously more focusing on what's integrally happening. But just a, a great ability to find space which is, you know, always key for that type of player. Um, and the fact that he's comfortable going into wide areas, although he didn't do a huge amount of that, um, just, just, you know, I mean, he, okay, it's unlikely he's ever going to be Kevin De Bruyne, but, uh, you know, just having someone that, that can operate in different zones of the pitch, just, you know, com- comfortably. And that was very much what he was doing at, at Porto. You know, there was... Someone did a tactical breakdown, maybe Tifo Football or someone like that did a tactical breakdown of him and they showed one game where within half an hour he'd, he'd sort of found himself in six different positions, essentially. Um, so I was sort of confident that we'd see that, but I wasn't. didn't know if we'd see it that early. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, before we sort of drill down into, into individuals more, what was your sort of overall take on the performance?
1: Um, I thought it was incredibly impressive look i think uh, <laughs> i don't normally do this it will be funny if gab's listens back uh gab's the Brentford season ticket holder because i'm all, we're always telling him don't worry about arsenal you're a Brentford fan you get on with you and we'll do us um but i actually uh went on the uh griffin park grapevine just to have a look yesterday after the game and there was a lot of oh arsenal aren't that good we were just really rubbish but I think that's doing us a disservice. I thought, actually, man, uh, from Ramsdale through to Jesus, it was a properly controlled, controlling dominant performance. It's um, I remember when we spoke after the Bournemouth game, and I, I kind of said that my overriding feeling was that it felt too easy. Yeah. And there was a bit of that yesterday, which I, again I was really surprised by. I mean, before the game, Gabs was like, "Oh, the atmosphere won't be as good." It's twelve o'clock, kick off, blah And you're like, yeah. "Oh, whatever, Gabs." But actually, it turns out he was right on that front. But um, I just well, well, Ivan Tony is someone who last season gave us an absolute nightmare at Griffin Park, and I thought uh, Saliba particularly just shut him out of the game pretty much completely.
0: Well, also, tactically, you know, we're, we're a different team now, so we're playing considerably higher up the pitch, which, you know, made Brian and Burma yeah. dangerous on occasions, but made Tony much less effective because he was, not only was he getting limited service, but he was getting limited service in, in areas where he had limited options, was quite mm. isolated and was like 40 yards from our goal. You know, uh, I mean, on the rare occasions the ball was played into him in areas where he was near the penalty area, you know, some of his hold-up player or, you know, winning aerial battles was still at a very high level, but yes, I mean, in Saliba, he's got someone who can match him physically, uh, and, and do so in a composed way as well. Um, which, you know, he, he, if you don't have that advantage and the team that you're playing in, isn't, isn't playing fantastically in terms of the balance of the game, it is going to nullify him a bit. and um, I mean, I still thought he was—he showed more moments of quality than most of the Brentford team, um, but it was just in, in positions where not a lot was going to come come on as a result of it.
1: Yeah, um, I thought uh, one of the things I noticed—I'm not sure how many times it happened, but I, I noticed that happened once or twice it was uh, Kieran Tierney when it when he was getting on the ball rather than just scooting off straight up the line as he normally would, he was actually thinking a little bit, and sometimes passing the ball inside, sometimes coming inside, and I think I hope as, well, I think we're both quite emotionally invested in KT, aren't we? Um, that that he'd go out how to play this left-back role as Arteta wants him to, but also the fact that he is by instinct to go down the line full-back. Actually, when there was talk about Zinchenko being injured, I wasn't too worried about it for this game, so I thought actually having Tierney available for this game would help us. And I thought he had a pretty good game generally. I remember he made a really good tackle on the cover. I think in the was it in the second half he did that. Well, also also, as
0: you say, he was inverting more. To the point, there was one point where I saw him win a tackle, and it took me a while to work out who it was because he was on the right side of central midfield. Right, <laughs> um, but yet, what was pleasing is while he's adjusting to that, it it wasn't stopping him at times going down the flanks and still doing Kieran Tierney stuff. And of course, if, you know, if he can do both, that's always that's always going to be better for the team. You know, Zinchenko is never going to is always going to be a a better technical footballer. Uh, and more comfortable in, in central midfield, but is not, never going to be as good going down the line. But if you've got them at least able to replicate a bit of what each other are doing, then that means you can have some tactical variation depending on who you choose, but without losing all your passage of play that you have with one, you know, if the other has to play. And that, and, that, and that's all credit to, to, to KT for, you know, Starting to adjust to a different style of playing a position that he played in a in a singular style for you know six seven years at, at the highest level.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I I was just really pleased. I mean, I said before the game I wanted us to bat at Brentford, but I'd have happily taken one 0 And um, you know, we've given them okay, small sample size, but their heaviest Premier League defeat at home. I said to cats after the game. I'm happy with that you know it's um and he um i guess we can we can get into this further down the road but um gabriel we after the game nice kick about with the lads yeah. um gaps is like oh you lot, when are you gonna shut up and I, was, I said never never the disrespect is real gab <laughs> we'll never let it go um yeah we're
0: we're just on that i'm going to jump on that just because you mentioned it there actually uh it seems as though there's been you know usual twitter twitter police you know being outraged some bloke called tom rennie which at thomas james twitter yeah 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 yeah, talk sport and and serious xmfc or whatever who what the hell that is basically complaining that that tweet was a perfect example of punching down and it's fine for someone who's playing for a smaller club to say it but not the other way around uh, I, I did have to sort of put an reply going it's not the clubs that sent those messages it's individual players and individual players that compete with each other and it's not as if uh gabriel Magalhaes is, is a silver spoon merchant you know he's had to claw and tooth and nail his way up to, to to this level from very modest beginnings so uh i'm not sure his emotional response to what's happened is going to be the same as some comfortably middle-class west ham fan who sits on the radio <laughs> once a week <laughs> yeah i just
1: again it's um yeah, I say this quite a lot on the podcast. I mean, football's supposed to be fun, and the banter's part of it as well. And there's nothing offensive there. So what? I don't know why it's it's okay for Ivan Tony to do it, but when an Arsenal player gets involved, the the pearls come out. Um, and let's face it, you know, um, Gabs Gabs' message this morning, the thing from Twitter about our Arsenal players, the most easily triggered in the Premier League. i common not the exact wording. The fact of the matter is, every time we take a dressing room selfie, the uh, the internet explodes. Um, so I, I feel, as usual, uh, we're far more sinned sinned against than sinners. Well, I would say that.
0: I, yeah, I mean, it's just basically that we're a, a club that's big news. We're one of the top uh, media generators. We're an easy target if someone wants to put some information out there because we haven't been as successful in recent years as as some other teams and we're not as big, rich, successful, storied history as other teams, particularly Man United and Liverpool, who are always rather more media darlings, although people like to laugh at Man United when they fall over, which is you know only natural. Um, and so, you know, I mean... I, the reason why I, re, like, why I replied to that treat, tweet rather than commenting and retweeting is because the only reason he's writing it is to <laughs> is to get attention, you know. Yeah. I mean, or if he is that wound up that a centre-back has replied in kind to a tweet from a year ago, then he probably needs to reassess his life. It's not. It's, you know, it's particularly as someone who isn't, doesn't have a vested interest in either team and is a professional sports writer or sports journalist. So, you know it's nothing out of nothing out of nothing it's a bit of a piss take it's letting them know all right you you know you slightly took the mick out of us we remembered that and there you go back in your face yeah that'll be, that'll be the end of it we're not going <laughs> no one's going to be thinking about that next year are they um yeah i mean uh, any other sort of general impressions about the game
1: um No, I mean, you know, like I said earlier, it was just total dominance, wasn't it? We had 13 shots on goal, seven on target, 64% possession, and the field tilt was 68.8, which, um, you know, again, I think we've said this before, we've watched a lot of Arsenal team dominate um, a lot of football um, over the years. But we feel like... uh, well, even to go back two years, you know, uh, it's not that long ago that Mikel Arteta was coaching a football team that had a lot of the football and absolutely fuck all threat. So um, to be um, as penetrative as we are now, and really it was three, it could have been five, um, yeah, possibly yeah. should have been. Um, and away from home, you know, I, <laughs> we were kind of before the game stayed to each other, oh no we've we've got loads of injuries you, you should win you so it was um i didn't feel comfortable about yesterday at all and in fact even when we were two 0 up i i still wanted that third goal the third goal went in and gab's messaged everyone and told us he he had a lawns to go and cut um, <laughs> <laughs> go. um it was just really nice to go away from home 12 o'clock kickoff and um make it look as easy make it look that easy exactly yeah. that exactly that I, um the other thing i just wanted to say quickly while i think of it on the griffin park grapevine was they were complaining about the time wasting which was um i'm not really sure when we're three nil up but um you know if anything we would do in brentford a favor if we were time wasting
0: i mean i will say from within the ground i I did think there was a bit of time wasting. <laughs> uh, yeah. like, uh Ben Ben White, every time he gets a throw in, he looks like he's not quite sure how how, how he has to remind himself how to take a throw in. It takes that long. <laughs> and uh, Ramsdale was definitely milking a few moments. Um, but you know, that's a, I suppose that's a, a hint of that cynicism has been cried out for at this club for a long time. So I, I guess we shouldn't shouldn't get upset about it. Um, yeah, I mean, at the ground itself, watching the game, particularly as I sat with all the Brentford fans, I felt a bit awkward. I mean, I felt a bit awkward anyway, because obviously it's two teams I've I got an affection for. I'm sitting with the home fans, uh, all wanting the away team to win. I chose not to wear an Arsenal shirt for the game uh, for that reason. Sensible. I, I, th- I
1: think yeah. that's
0: sensible. I thought I'd go neutral, so I, I, I wore a retro Fiorentina number, but anyway. <laughs> uh, for, yeah. Uh, but From my brief time in Florence, um, but um, yeah, it was st- strange because it was sort of. I was thinking, st- you know, said, well, it's go- this is gonna be a good game, this you know, it's gonna, and and the first five minutes or whatever it was kind of, or 10 minutes or so, it's like even game, bit you know, Brentford getting into good positions, Arsenal looking more controlled, uh, and then we scored, uh, and obviously, I mean, that's. But that, I think, is the epitome of a low-probability scoring option. Uh, I mean, it was an absolutely perfect header from Saliba that somehow you know, made its way to the position it did. And despite, you know, it looked over the line in the stadium from, like, 80 yards away. So I was sort of fairly confident it would be given. And then after that, the game sort of, as you say, became easy. The fact we got the second rel- quite soon afterwards, de- obviously the delicious cross onto the bunts of Gabriel Jesus, uh, Jacques with yet another assist, and Jesus was a great header. And then after that, it was a, a, a totally stress-free occasion for me. It was kind of – it sort of added to my ability to be sort of slightly emotionally removed and looking at it more analytically and kind of observing and, and sort of talking <laughs> – almost for the for the sake of the company, as we we're talking a bit more from a Brentford perspective, because they couldn't lay a glove on us. No. And 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 there was that was partly, I think, down to a lack of intensity from Brentford, um, particularly once we'd gone two up. And and also that I think the balance of their midfield wasn't quite right. But it was also tactically we are a completely different team to what we were last season. And the, you know, last season we struggled as much with Brentford's setup as we did with the, the actual performances of the players on the pitch. Whereas this season, they just couldn't get the ball through us at all, and we could get the ball through them seemingly at will. And it was a it was a really interesting display of, you know, yes, also we've got better players, but tactical dominance. And you know, Thomas Frank's a very good coach, and Brentford have a very clear tactical identity, but. Certainly during this game, it looked like ours was even more um, finely tuned and detailed in terms of what it was doing. And it was, I thought it was notable afterwards that despite the fact that obviously the Brentford fans were very unhappy in the game and thought the performance was very flat and what have you. Afterwards, Thomas Frank was saying that actually their performance wasn't bad. It's just Arsenal were really, really, really good. Uh, but I think Arsenal are really good in a way that is quite hard to see unless you're used to seeing it. Mm. Um, it, it, it it's, it's sort of what we're doing at the moment. It takes a bit of a time to get your head around. It just, you know, and a bit, a bit like um, when Mourinho was playing with teams that were could actually attack as well as defend. Um, and, and, you know, after a while, you had sort of looked at him and gone, "Oh, I can see what he's doing here. Oh, that's." I mean, it's not what I would want to do because I think it's ugly, but it's really effective and I understand why now. And it's a little bit like Conte at Spurs. It's got that thing of, I can see why this works, even though it doesn't feel like it should. Um, and certainly what, what Arsenal did yesterday is they just sort of enveloped and smothered and and just gave the impression of having more players on the pitch. Which is something we we've been on the receiving end against City and Liverpool in in, in not too distant past, but so it's really kind of all right against lesser opponent, but great to see us doing it against someone else.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something. Um, it, it was quite apparent on the telly. I think, and one one of the keys to that was initially when thomas part every time thomas party got the ball it, obviously he was being booed by the home fans yeah yeah but he got- he was on the ball so much in the first half that it kind of just petered out after a while because like, oh, i can't be bothered to do this anymore um and i think the the, the phrase about enveloping i think is exactly right i mean we, we were quite high up the pitch and we just Brentford literally couldn't get anything going, whereas when we had the ball, we tended to have it for quite a long over a long sequence of play. Um, and I, I mean, even in the first minute, I mean that that passage of play that yeah. led to Martinelli falling over just, just as he was about to score, he falls over. Um, it was a lovely ball inside from Xhaka. Um and he, uh, I mean. I think even even the doubters, even the last remaining people that are like good enough for this football club, which is yes fair, what I was saying for about three years. Um he, even those people, he's starting to win them round. I think um he commented after the game, didn't he, about the fans singing his name. Um, hmm.
0: He even got he even uh, got even got cheered when he got that slightly stupid booking. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. that's when you know the rehabilitation is complete
1: <laughs> yeah um
0: i mean he was brilliant again uh, yesterday granite Jaco, like just bossed it totally
1: but i think it's um the point i was trying to get myself to and then i forgot and was after the aston villa game i spoke about how when we lost the ball we just won it back with we were quickly into them and winning the ball back with a in real intensity. And I don't think we were as intense yesterday, but I don't no. think we needed to be. We did, But we were just getting the ball off them. And I think, um, you know, I think you're right to say it, it was a very different team last Four Four survivors from the opening day of last yeah, season yeah, yeah. in the team yesterday. Um, I always felt, and Gabs would say it, if he was here, but Brentford kind of got lucky with the circumstances around that game. Um, But it felt a little bit like men against boys in some parts because it was last year, but yesterday it was the other way around.
0: Yeah, and I think what it is is also Brentford are a very dangerous team if you let them do what they want to do. Uh, And obviously normally they come out quick, you know, again, in his interview after the game, Thomas Frank, you know, the interview was, yeah, you know, absolutely banal, but basically talking about how, you know, normally it's Brentford that come out quickly and, and, and put pressure on people. And, you know, so saying that Arsenal did that in this game, sort of implying that Brentford didn't or didn't attempt to. Uh, and Thomas Frank made the point, well, well, after last season, they'd be pretty stupid if they didn't start this game quickly. Talking about Arsenal, you know, and it's right, you know, I mean, also we've stuck with doing that a lot more under Arteta consistently anyway, generally, but yeah, if you know a team, that's what they do is they come out quickly. They try and put you under pressure. If you have the capacity to do it yourself as well, you make sure you do it because that, you know, it, it stops you getting put on the back foot, uh, which is obviously what happened a few times last season and in, in, uh, particularly early on. But I think it, it's it's also just that the there's just a such clarity to what we're doing at the moment. I mean, it's you know it's not perfect. There is plenty of thing you know, little details that can be improved about on it. But it's, it's like yesterday was a game when no one had to play hero ball. You know, everyone, everyone, everyone just played collectively well. You know, probably the, the least impactful players were probably maybe Martinelli and Ben White, maybe who didn't, you know, didn't do anything wrong, but didn't do anything particularly interesting. Uh, but no one was a nine out of 10, you know, or a 10 out of 10. Everyone, you know, there was, there was a lot of eights and sevens, you know, kind of, I'm doing my job well here without having to do go and above and beyond. And that's a really good illustration of a, of a well-functioning team. And as I say, yeah. it, it just, it looked easy, and uh, and and getting those two girls early. Not only did they make it a much more relaxing experience for the likes of you and I watching it, but also uh, Brentford's not the most raucous ground. Uh, sometimes, you know, it has been in some games, but it it was quite quiet, even at the start of the game yesterday. And then Arsenal scored twice, and apart from a, a you know the usual rousing rendition of Hey Jude and a couple other bits. It was ba- all you could hear was the away fans for yeah. the entire 90 minutes, and and they were, you know, I mean, some of it was the usual puerile crap you get from football fans, but you know, it they were they were brilliant, their support was absolutely fantastic. And I just want to make sure I, I mentioned that because it was that sort of was sort of glancing enviously across because I couldn't join in, you know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I just wanted to mention again, Gabriel Jesus. I mean, the header. Um, it was a great ball by Zaka. Um We've seen great balls like that, not always dispatched with such uh, uh, efficiency by Arsenal centre forwards. Recent, not so recent. Um, but again, I, I remember after the Arsenal Brentford game last season. Um, Jimmy and Gabs had been in the away end and we met up in the full back afterwards. And I think I probably talked about it at the time on the pub. But I remember sitting down uh, in the full back. And I I felt quite down about how we would played that day. Although uh, James Craddock told me later I was being very harsh on Arsenal. But I'm pretty sure I said something along the lines of, Once we've got a proper centre forward up front, we will batter you. (laughs) Um, And because I think there was so much, even even in that game where we were reasonably dominant and we created a lot, but we didn't take the chance, as many chances as we could have. Um, Just it felt like Lattice out up top for all the link work he did in midfield was a blunt knife. And we've got someone now who is like machete sharp um and aside from you know his finishing which i think it's finishing it's not been brilliant has it but it's been good good yeah, yeah. um but he also gives you that off the ball stuff and his off the ball stuff is like Lacazette supercharged, isn't it? I mean, the, the yeah. chance that he created for himself towards the uh, the end of the game yesterday, where he um, I can't remember the Brentford player that he he knocked off the ball. Pontus um,
0: I think it was. Who, who did yeah. it a great game.
1: Which uh, which Arsenal centre forward in recent memory would have scored a goal like that? I mean, uh, or created a chance like that? It's um, he he's just. I mean, you'd think if you were another second defender, you would hate playing against that because you're not going to get a second's piece.
0: Well, he's one of the top pressing forwards in the world.
1: He's yeah. Also,
0: he's also gets carded more than most strikers. Like, he's now only one yellow card from, from a suspension after oh, a particularly cheap booking yesterday.
1: Uh, I, th- I thought that was ridiculous, that booking yesterday. It was
0: ridiculous, yeah. it was a, It was. was a. It was a ref with nothing to do looking for something to do.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not even one where you can say, you know, given what else he'd let go, because uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a game where there really wasn't any f- a foul play to speak of, particularly. Um, you know, a couple of bookings each each way, more for kind of but not, but not for anything particularly serious or malicious. There was certainly no great physicality to the game, but you know, Wanker in the Black's got to justify his. His role, uh, so to speak. Um, yeah, and I think the thing, the thing about Gabriel Jesus, which is makes he's a he's a real kind of Swiss Army knife striker in that, like, he's not the quickest, but he's quick. He's not the best finisher, but he's a good finisher. He's not like dominant in the air, but he's quite good with his head. You know, he's he, he's not uh, the best dribbler in the world, but he's a good dribbler. He, he can cross a ball. You know, he can occasionally shoot from distance. He's good at back post runs. You know, he, he's sort of just below elite at a really wide level of stuff, which just means you can use utilise him in so many different ways. And if you can get the, the right sort of players around him, he, he, he provides a variety of threat. And I think that's one thing we've seen this season, and particularly again yesterday, you look at the goals we scored. Those are not goals that you'd have seen an Arsenal team before about maybe two years ago score for almost a decade I mean, we would have scored other types of goals you know there were times we were scoring plenty of goals but you know I mean we, we went for like 20 years or 15 15 20 years particularly under Arsene of every time we got a corner it was time to go and get a Drink from the fridge or make yourself a cup of tea, <laughs> and then we got to the point where every time we got a corner, it was a chance we might concede a goal on the counter.
1: Yeah, hide, hide behind the sofa. <laughs>
0: yeah, and, and and now we're you know, I think the third best attacking set piece team in the league. Uh, you know, a regular a threat from corners scoring different types of goals from corners. Then our centre forward scores a headed goal from a from a floated cross from a slightly unpromising position and then we get a long-range banger. You know, I mean, these are not goals you'd have seen an Arsenal team score for most of the last decade, which is also why a game that had the potential to be very tricky got made easy because we didn't we didn't even have to score like the beautiful goals we normally score or do anything in, you know, we, the goals we scored are very efficient and kind of re- relatively low... Investment goals in terms of how much you, you know—we've all watched those games. Where you're battering on the door for for ages, and and you don't score. Um, and actually, it's partly a reflection of the fact that despite Brentford play three at the back, their defensive metrics this season are, are kind of quite middle of the road. Um, they're actually missing Ethan Pinnock a, a fair bit, um, who, who who's uh, one of those players that's come up from non-league and has is, is actually taken to the Premier League very well. Um, and they're missing Norgard in midfield, who's who's kind of their shield. But I don't think they would have made a particular difference in this game because they just couldn't. They just couldn't catch up to us. It, it, it was. It's a long time since I've seen us be so comfortable or dominant against a team that isn't just crap.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And particularly nice, you know, if we got done by Man United, but, you know, Brentford beat them 4-0 and we beat Brentford uh, 3-0. So that's a, you know, so 7-0 aggregate on that. Take away the 3-1 loss. So what's that? (laughs) 8-3. We'll take that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. um, I thought as well... um, (laughs) <laughs> is, is it too much to say Bakayo Saka, obviously a great corner for the uh, for the first goal. Um I'm not sure really an assist for Padiogi. He just happened to pass in the ball, didn't he? But um we hit, we didn't talk about actually what a lovely move that was. Mm. Um Staliba nearly getting himself into trouble, uh spinning yep. out of it. Um and um uh, playing the one two to get himself up the pitch. Ball uh, eventually finds its way to Saka, who he gives it to Vieira. And um, <laughs> I was just like, as soon as he hit it, I just thought of, you remember, uh, well, we've talked about it recently, the Vieira goal against Manchester United. Yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah. And Tyler just goes, Vieira! <laughs> yeah. And that's all I had in my head. Um, yeah, wonderful strike. But again, with Saliba, I think. He's, he uh, is he the only one of our centre backs that's capable of getting himself out of trouble like that? Um,
0: well, certainly the most capable because he just plays with such a, a high level of calm.
1: It's um, it's really staggering that there's this twenty one year old kid <laughs> doing this in the Premier League. I just I find it absolutely mind-blowing to be honest um but there, there'll be people listening to this kind of watching the held on since for last year and I, i'm not sure about that because uh, i don't i'm not sure how much he would have played but um right i think we can all be we can all be happy about the progress he's making this season um do you think um i mean Things may change over the next two weeks. Like, absolutely, he hasn't trained for ten days either. Yeah, Which... and,
0: <laughs> and I also quite like enjoying the stats. He's got. He's now got uh, two uh, two goals from three attempts, uh, and he's got two goals from a combined xG of zero point two nine. So, <laughs> oh. so he's t- t- so he's currently operating as an elite finisher. <laughs>
1: <laughs> of course, he won goal of the month. Um, the last last month um, with that wonderful goal at Bournemouth. And we should also say, let's uh, be silly to forget to mention this, Mikel Arteta managed to avoid the manager of the month curse.
0: So far. <laughs> well,
1: yeah. But,
0: but yes, um well, I mean, good to get some recognition. Um And, you know, this is... The opposition we've been playing hasn't been the strongest, but we're just playing at a higher standard than we have. I mean, you know, as evidenced by, okay, we lost to United because we were stupidly caught on the counter, but we, we bossed 75 minutes of that game and and should have won the game, you know, had we been, had we taken more care and more in a a few situations and been a bit more fortunate with the odd decision, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this is what we're seeing is, Certainly with the current personnel is both repeatable and sustainable. Which is something we haven't always been able to say <laughs> in recent times, particularly say under Unai Emery, where we went on that great run, but you always thought, Mmm, how's this gonna go? Yeah. Um oh. Go ahead.
1: No, I was just saying uh, I know it's uh two weeks in the future, but just thinking to the Spurs game. Um like I, I would be so tempted to bring Tommy Yasu back in for that game because he completely shut some down. Yeah, yeah. Last season, but I think Ben White actually playing playing this position, uh, uh, right back, is probably doing exactly what Arteta wants him to do. So it's um be interesting to see how that comes out.
0: Well, I get the impression also that. They're, they're taking their time with Tomiyasu. I think they don't want to... I think they're trying to still keep his load quite light as well as, you know, obviously White's playing a role in a different way to Tomiyasu, and it seems to perhaps be close to what Arteta wants tactically. But I, as always, it's the way the system works. It depends what other parts are in place. You know, Zinchenko or Tierney impacts the team in different ways. and And, you know... I mean, I think I don't as we said earlier, I don't think T did his his chances of playing in the in that game any harm. Um, you know, he's we all know he's stronger defensively than Zinchenko. So we we shall see what happens there. I mean, obviously, one other thing we have to talk about the game is is the subs. I mean, the most notable, of course, being the he's got school in the morning. Uh, <laughs> the remarkable uh giving a debut to Ethan Nguaneri, who's uh, anyone who follows the youth teams a lot will have had an inkling about him. But this is a guy that, you know, not only did he break the record for the youngest Premier League player at, what, 15 years, 181 days, so literally 15 and a half. You know, he's got his GCSEs next summer. But he's someone that, like, a couple of weeks ago made his under-21 debut.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. Uh, and but but last season in the under 18s, towards in the second half of the season, was playing quite a lot as a 14 year old. Um, I mean, this you know, he's a real talent, and you know, the word on the street is we're we're, we're kind of fast tracking him a bit because lots of the clubs are sniffing around, and he's still young enough that he could walk out of the club without us getting anything for him. You know, and, and there's a couple others of the similar age group. There's a kid called uh, Miles Lewis Skelly, uh, and uh, there's a, a young, an even younger striker called Chini Odo, who's like six foot four at just 15 and is, is just at a bit of a growth sport, a sport. but they're kind of very highly rated prospects. Uh, but Nuaneri is an interesting one because he's he, he can play across the front line, uh, but also can do the kind of Jack Wilshire thing. And a bit like, Wilshire but slightly less reckless he's 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 tough for his size and his age you know what I mean uh and those you know
1: (laughs) what I was saying to Joe yesterday I was just thinking back to what I looked like when I was 15 years old bloody hell terrifying
0: when I was 15 I could have walked through some of those players legs I was so tight
1: yeah 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 well, it's funny, I finished watching the, uh, I mentioned it the other week, the uh, programme about the Crystal Palace Academy football dreams. Mm. And um, in the penultimate programme, they were following a 14-year-old kid around whose name has escaped me. And he, but he, he played centre-back, and he, all of a sudden, in the space of like, a very short period of time, he just grew four inches, so he went from five eight to 6'. foot. And um he was struggling a bit with his body balance, yeah mechanics. Yeah. <laughs> I a fourteen year old six footer. I mean, I think I was about I mean I I'm only five eleven now, I think I was about five foot six or something when I went to uni and then despite the fact that I was very malnourished in my first year at uni, I shot up. <laughs> um but it's just beer'll um, do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Um, just um, again, like this knowledge of having watched this programme about academies and what kids have to go through and how cutthroat it is, to to see a 15-year-old come on for us. Um, Well, as you say, it's, it's a special moment for him. It also marks him out as being something potentially very special indeed.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a, a uh, I read an article not long ago by uh, an, an ex youth coach who's now just a bit of scouting for Arsenal, who's saying that you know there are some really good kids coming up uh, who, and um, the fear is how do you hang on to them all because Arsenal have lost. You know, there's a, a kid called Eunice Musa who was in, a, in the under-16s, and you know the club really wanted to keep him, but he just didn't see a you know a clearer pathway, and so went to Valencia, and, and he's been in and around the Valencia First team for the last couple of seasons, and it's pretty regular in their team now. Uh, so, you, you know, one of the downsides of the huge leaps forward in the British academy system and the way that youngsters are coached in Britain, and and of course how that matches with having a country with greater ethnic diversity than most as well, uh, particularly in London and the southeast, is that you know, where we used to go abroad looking for their kids, they're now coming trying to steal ours. And, you know, and Barcelona make regular trips to the Arsenal Academy trying to pick players up. And thankfully, we've managed to resist most, but not all. We've lost a couple of young players there in recent seasons, which who ultimately turned out to be a bad choice for them. and They haven't amounted to, to anything at the, at the top level. Um So, but yeah, I mean, if you're setting a record as the youngest ever player in the Premier League, you've got to imagine that the club think they can get use out of him relatively soon. And it's also great for great for Arteta to use against the argument that lots of fans are trying to slag, him. oh, he doesn't like the young players, you know. It's like, well, he's just picked the youngest ever Arsenal player since, you know, certainly since the Premier League started and probably in about another 50 or 60 years before that, if not longer. Um, so, yeah, kind of very exciting for him. He looked a bit sheepish. He managed, only, only touched the ball he managed to get with a block, but, um, you know, just... What an amazing experience that must be! To he's going to have the piss taken out of him. School on Monday, of course, or oh, Tuesday. Uh, yeah. Um. But yeah, just kind of re- really pleasing to to see that. And and of course, you know, others came off the bench as well. And you know, Ketty put himself about and and, and made the, the backline Brentford work. Tommy Acid came on and looked totally comfortable. Sambi came on, Marquinhos came on, and you know, again, this five subs rule just means that it's e- easier for Arteta to, to give more opportunities to, to, to the broader squad rather than last season where really it was kind of like we're playing once a week and we will just use the same 13 players, thank you very much but also being in a team that now is occasionally capable of scoring more than one goal in the first half means have got a better chance of having some game states where you can bring on rotation players and give people a bit of a break every now and then um, and and uh, I mean, was there, did anyone, you know, anything else stand out for you before the game about the game before we move on?
1: Only that in the absence of Martin Odegaard, it was nice to have such a controlled performance because I think that was one of the things that I was a little worried about before the mm-hmm. game. But yeah. Um
0: I didn't as even as know a, he was injured. I just sort of up and I was like, Fabio Vieira's playing. Where the fuck's
1: Odegaard? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, just really enjoyable. Like I said, I think um, my one prediction before the game, when uh, Luke asked everyone for their predictions, was stress. And I didn't even get that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you sound disappointed.
1: <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Great. Long may it continue. Um, yeah.
0: I mean, elsewhere, uh, uh, I mean, obviously, since we last spoke, chelsea have hired graham potter much to disappointment because mm. i really liked graham potter and i don't want to have to hate him but he's at chelsea now so i have to wish for you to fail i'm sorry that's the rules
1: he probably won't be at chelsea very long
0: <laughs> well it, it depends that if todd bowley started to sort of form some sort of long-term thinking rather than uh what's currently going on over i know i'll buy a Bamiang for thomas tuchel and then sack him <laughs> less than a week later
1: yeah, a bit weird, a bit weird.
0: But um, uh, they they got, had a draw in their Champions League game, so you know it's going to take them a little while to iron out their problems.
1: Um, um, go ahead. Just while you've just while you've mentioned Todd, uh, Todd um what, what do you think of the All Star game? Because I did see a really interesting point, which was I'd rather watch that than the Community Shield, and I thought oh, actually I I can kind of see that
0: no never uh no okay because because i watch you know i watch some american sports particularly ice hockey and they have all-star games there <laughs> and they're just a joke they're a bit yeah. of a laugh but they're kind of across between well they're sort of somewhere between the community shield and you know those kind of legends football Yeah, yeah yeah it's kind of you know it's just skillful people showing off, really. Right, and it, yeah, you... and it's, so, so so there's nothing really, you know. It's it, it's sport for people who aren't interested in the sport.
1: It's it's missing the stern and Drang that comes as part of the football package, right?
0: Yeah, it's it's it, it's it's more of a like a uh, an advertisement for a sport than a sport, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it, it, it exists to make money. But I think what what Mr. Boley will, will, might struggle with on that suggestion is that the Premier League makes so much money and the players don't want an extra fixture. And just like as happens in American sports, players will just pull out of it. So you have an all-star game. It'd be like the all-star game featuring... Some of the people we wanted for the All-Star team and some others we had to bring in because the people we wanted didn't fancy doing it because they're knackered after a long season. They've got a World Cup coming up and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And also the whole idea of making it north v south It's like, yeah, the north and south have a bit of rivalry, but the south and the south and the north and the north have greater rivalry.
1: (laughs) Um, uh, And and where would would Leicester fit in?
0: Yeah, exactly. What happens to the Midlands? (laughs) Where's the dividing line? Yeah, I just, I just think the whole thing is, I, it's a, it's a good idea for someone who doesn't understand English football culture, or indeed European football culture, uh, because it's a money maker, and it's a, and it's a way of kind of growing the game. But you don't need to grow the game of football in terms of global recognition, because it is by far and away the most recognised sport in the world and is only growing rapidly at that anyway. So I just think it's a, it's an idea. I can see the logic, but it's a logic based on ignorance. That's my view. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> but not like me to have an opinion. No. Um, so obviously looking forward, we've got an international break, which uh, is struggling to find any reason to give any, you know, two hoots about but um, Ben White are missing from the England squad, but uh, obviously Bakayo Saka, who will be called up. Hopefully he won't play too much, or if he does, he'll only play one game or something much, as we want to see him in the England team. We'd also quite want to have a rest, uh, given uh, how much football he's played over the last couple of years. Uh, None of our Gabriels are in the Brazil squad, uh, I'm not going to really forget that. Tim Stillman has spoken at length about that in about three different podcasts, being the resident women slash Brazilian football expert in the Arsenal community. But safe to say, Gabriel Jesus is going anyway to the World Cup, so they don't need to take him. Gabriel Magalhães will probably go because they, they don't have that many left at set at halves. And, and Martinelli's... Uh, as Stillman, Stillman said, is, is competing to get into the team in the most in the strongest position in Brazilian football at the moment, which is the inside left, and so it's hard to know whether he's missed out or whether or whether they're just giving someone else a look, who might be behind him in the pecking order. But um, we shall see on that. Uh, obviously, the World Cup is even bigger for Brazilian players than it is for anyone else. Um, and then the women's team. Opened the WSL season with a very comfortable 4-0 victory. Uh, Beth Mead picking up where she left off with a couple of goals. Um, um, senior Bukstinias with, with one and uh, who got the fourth? Uh, Kim Little, of course, got the opener. Um, comfortable game against an, an opponent, I think it was Brighton. They had a player sent off relatively early, so it was just like another walk in the park, stress-free football. And a sellout. And of course, um, you know, Arsenal uh, Arsenal women are going to be playing game at the Emirates soon and that's selling tickets very, very well. Of course. Um, And so, you know, it's great that at least in the immediacy there is some of the momentum built up over the summer. uh, It's continuing. Um, They, like the Arsenal men's team, find themselves with a, a good squad, a good manager, clarity of how to play, but maybe one or two players short in terms of squad depth. Um, but they'll be take great heart from the fact that Chelsea lost their opening game in the WSL, given that they beat Arsenal t- to the title on by a point last season. Um, and then, of course, looking at the men's, looking forward, uh, we'll be returning in a couple of weeks to the North London derby, which, mm. which will be a bit squeaky bum, uh, given that Spurs seem to be playing well. No. I get it. A very efficiently getting results at the moment, but um, you know, uh, I'd, I'd, some Spurs fan on the internet today was complaining about, you know, Spurs getting criticised for for not having the best underlying metrics, and maybe you now they've stuffed Leicester. You know, maybe Arsenal fans should shut up, and you know, why is no one criticising Arsenal? And I, I, I couldn't help pointing out to them that yes, Spurs scored six against Leicester, but in the in, when Arsenal beat Leicester, Arsenal. Conceded half as many xG and generated a third more xG. It's just that we didn't finish quite as well, and we made a couple, let in a couple of bizarre goals. But we know what that's what Spurs are. They're a team with absolute deadly people in the opposition penalty area, and uh, and besides that, they you know they run around a lot, um, and so it will be a very dangerous fixture, particularly as they want to play us on the counter. We want to possess the ball. How's that gonna work?
1: Yeah. I mean I'm sure we'll talk more, but um obviously the home record against Tottenham is I think there yeah. are I don't think there are many teams that have got a better home record than our home record is against Spurs. And we're a much better football team than we were last season. I suppose we could also say they might also be better.
0: Yeah, I mean, under Nuno, they were a shambles.
1: Yeah. Um, But it's nice that it'll be a top-of-the-table clash as opposed to competing for ninth or whatever it was when we played them at home last season.
0: Yes, exactly. I mean, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be scary, uh, but it's going to be exciting. Um, All all results from the table. We will be favourites as the home team. And, you know, let's not forget top of the league. So. I kind of can't wait. Uh, hope as long as we don't pick up the injuries in international break. Um, j- just because if we could beat them, it would be such a big thing for our season. And, and, and given that we're obviously going to be competing for top three, top four, you know, uh, for, and it's probably going to be quite tight between the two teams as the season goes. So, yeah. But anyway, we've got a week before, uh, two weeks before that happens. And, uh, I'm not even going to bother talking about the international fixtures. It's not worth it.
1: <laughs> Happy. Happy Nazi. <not> <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Well,
0: just, just before we finish up, is there anything else that jumps into your brain or should we knock it on the head there?
1: No, I think, I think we'll uh, let the listeners get on with their day.
0: Wow. Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> If, listeners, you have got this far, well done. Uh, you must have a great staying power. But uh, thank you for sticking with us and thank you for listening. I hope we have got something out of it, even if it's just Paul's stats and, and, and my wittering on about stuff. Um, but, yeah, uh, have a wonderful week. Try and enjoy a week without Arsenal. I know it's not the same, but, you know, there are other things in life. And, uh, yeah, look after yourselves. And thank you, as always, Paul, for speaking to me.
1: No problem. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Take care, everyone. Cheerio.
1: Cheerio.